Well, for the last uh, few weeks I've not been preaching um, here and I've had a little bit more time to um, step back a pace or two and to think about the church's life and um, uh, how we're doing, what um, we need to be thinking about for the future. And a few things have impressed themselves upon me. One is that Sunday by Sunday, um, I see enormous vibrancy. Uh, You are, I don't want to blow your heads up into enormous proportions, but, um, um, you know, it it is a stunning privilege to be a pastor of uh, of this church. There are are so many good things going on. There are so many um, uh, good uh, people here who are full of life and vitality and uh, it fills me with delight every time I think about it. There is, there is enormous life uh, amongst us. Actually, any, a very large proportion of us every year, um, much more than most churches, move on in, uh, over the summer period and we'll be losing not only the Christians in sport um, uh, interns but uh, a significant number of you as well, and I want to say to you that 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 uh, you have massive opportunities as you go and serve the Lord elsewhere. Um, it's a, a loss for us in one sense, for us who are here year on year and see um, people we've grown to love and appreciate moving on every summer. It can be uh, painful, but we've learned to see it as our privilege to um, be part of the wider church that we we see lots of people move on. And I see enormous potential amongst you. And as uh, for those of us who remain, for the church as well, there is great vitality, I think, massive opportunities. Um, it's very exciting what the Lord is doing amongst us at the moment. Uh, to have nine baptisms, baptisms from conversions as well in the last eight months is, uh, is very, very exciting. Churches three, four, ten times our size would be uh, envious of, of that. Um, we also are a church, because of where we're placed in Oxford, that just has incredible opportunities. Oxford is a small city that I often say has a reach that goes to the whole world. Um, Judy and I could go to any continent in the world and there would be someone there whom we'd uh, grown to know and love in this church who had said, yeah, come and visit us sometime. I mean, that that is um, what it's like to be part of this, uh, this church. And therefore, what happens here gets um, multiplied and spread throughout the whole world. It is an extraordinary privilege for us to have. Um, uh, And uh, I see as well uh, a particular calling, I think, that the church uh, here has that is also very exciting to be a church that really does cross barriers, cross barriers of of, of language and race and and culture, cross barriers within... um, the British culture of class because the Lord in his providence has put us in a geographical position which is very mixed, 
this particular uh, little locality is quite middle class. You only have to go 200 yards to find um, a very much more mixed uh, environment and, uh, and so on. We really are um, a mixed social area and the, and the church has learned over the years um, to uh, reach out across some of those, uh, the, those barriers with, with some success. If you read the New Testament you will see that letter after letter after letter in the New Testament has as one of its major objectives to hold people together from a wide variety of backgrounds, whether it was Jew or Gentile or rich or, or, or poor. Um, the Apostle Paul in particular and the New Testament writers like Luke knew that churches which can do that and unite under the Lordship of Christ despite their diversity are churches that will be successful and vibrant and a glowing witness to the world around. And um, we've made a start at that. It's very much part of what I think the Lord has given us to do. I see enormous potential, but I see another thing as well. I see great vulnerability. Um, sometimes that's very, very obvious amongst us. Uh, I see people who, um, perhaps because of their background, have, have an unusually hard, large amount of, vulner of emotional vulnerability who love the Lord, who want to serve the Lord, who are gifted in serving the Lord, and yet feel that personal uh, vulnerability. Um, just in terms of pure age, we tend to be young here, and that brings its, uh, uh, its vulnerabilities as well. Um, we could never stand up self-confidently and say... Um, we can take East Oxford for, for God. Perhaps some churches could imagine that they could. I don't think that comes into people's minds here. Because there is real vulnerability. How, how then are we going to keep going? How are we going to move forward as a church? You, as an individual... How are you going to keep going? How are you going to thrive? How are you going to actually serve the Lord and let those gifts that he's given you shine without the vulnerabilities uh, um, engulfing you and drowning you? How's it going to happen? I mean, there are, there are a, a thousand answers that could be given to that, um, that question and all of them quite good. Um, uh, we have, for instance, a, a vision statement, a series of statements, in fact, that you can uh, read on the website. Um, this is the, the, the key statement of the church we want to be. And we could talk about any one of those, um, uh, those elements of our vision and discuss how we can be kept on course for fulfilling this vision that we believe as a church the Lord has given us. They are great things and we've talked about them and discussed them over the last few years. But actually, I 
want to look at the bit that your eye skips over. The introductory statement. By grace, through faith, we are prayerfully committed to becoming a community of people who do X, Y and Z. Grace, faith, prayer. There is a danger, and I see it in myself, that we can, um, we can put those bits in as the sort of ne- necessary bit of Christian window dressing that is necessary in all, those, in all such uh, uh, statements and then ignore them. But we do that at our peril. All of those things are massively important. We will not serve the Lord as individuals and we will not serve the Lord as a church except if God is gracious. You and I have enough sin in our lives to capsize us today and ruin the rest of our lives. We have enough problems in our hearts, enough deviousness, enough, uh, enough wickedness, I think the Bible would say, to do that. And it is the grace of God day by day, the free gift of God, the generosity of God, despite the fact that we don't deserve it, which keeps us going It is no bit of window dressing to say that we are looking to do whatever we do as a church and whatever you do as an individual by grace. And faith is vitally important as well. That is, we can only do it as we trust God. He he doesn't set us up with the vision and then say, now go and get on with it. He says, you walk day by day trusting me. Whatever you try to do, you will not be able to do it at all unless you are trusting me. And when it's successful, don't you dare say, wasn't I clever? but you recognise that it was only as the Lord empowered us that we did anything. Through faith is vitally important for us to remember. It's the third of those words that I want to um, focus on for most of our time uh, um, this morning the word prayerfully and uh, some of you will remember to our shame as elders that um, when we first um, uh, presented what we felt the Lord had given us uh, by way of a statement of our vision we didn't have the word prayer in it at all and it was Lisa Vernon I think I remember who pointed that out and uh, uh, we immediately recognised that that was uh, an oversight on our part when I think it was an assumption that it should be there rather than a commitment that it shouldn't. But um, we hadn't put it in explicitly. And we did, and I think it is 
it is vitally important that we did. Once again, the means whereby God empowers and guides and strengthens and encourages his people is that he puts them on their knees and he makes them pray. And in order to um, um, elaborate on that, I want us to look at this uh, great story from Exodus that we read just a moment ago. If you closed your Bibles, open them again. It's page 92. And I want us just to see a few very simple, straightforward things from uh, this passage, Exodus 33 and 34. Straightforward they are, but vitally important. The first thing I want you to um, uh, see, well let me just uh, set some context actually before we do that. They're in the context of Moses having been called by God to lead the people, God having rescued the people from uh, uh, Egypt, taking them, taking them out of uh, Egypt, remember with the parting of the Red Sea and all of those uh, wonderful things. Um, Israel actually having stumbled, having messed up, having uh, um, really tried God's patience. And now they are living as a people, halfway between their original rescue and their final destination. In many ways, very similar to an average Christian. We know we've been rescued, we know that we've been forgiven. We're also deeply aware that we too often stumble and mess up and we are very aware we are not there yet. We are not in the new creation yet. We are in that halfway place which is actually where we live our whole, the whole of the rest of our physical lives unless Jesus comes again. So Moses and the people, that is where they are. And um, I want you to notice, first of all, Moses prayed. Moses set up a tent to pray, verse 7. Moses, of chapter 33, Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go up to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Um, And fascinatingly, God responds to Moses. Verse 9, as Moses went out into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Now, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is in control of this world. God tells us what to do and we are to respond to him. But I also see in scripture this amazing responsiveness of God to us. And here it is. Moses takes this tent and uh, sets it up outside and we read that whenever Moses went out, God then, in response, came down in this pillar of uh, cloud and met with Moses. Amazing to think. 
God responds to us. God is waiting for you to go to your tent to ask him things. He is disappointed when you don't bother. He is delighted to come close when you take the initiative to pray. Do not become so lodged in this idea of God being sovereign and up there and uh, holding everything in his control and what use is it for me to pray. Again and again and again in scripture we see God responding to the prayers of his people. If you're a systematic theologian, I don't know how you fit that together quite. But I do know that scripture says it. Moses prayed and the people were astonished by what they saw. Verse 10, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. They knew something special was happening. They knew something extraordinary was happening. This little old chap pottered out to this um, nondescript tent outside the camp and went down and got down on his knees and God came and they worshipped. You can pray. You can go and tuck yourself away wherever it is, whether it's in a special place that uh, Ruth described or... or um, in a corner of your home or sitting up in your, in your bed with, with your Bible on your lap, you can pray and it is the most extraordinary thing. If you saw with the eyes of the Israelites, you too would stand and worship. Because it is probably the mo- one of the most profound privileges that a Christian has. Do you pray? I don't want you to be filled with guilt and anguish and self-loathing and any of those sorts of things. I want you to be filled with a hunger and a sense of the glory and the majesty of that reality. Ask, seek, knock, said Jesus. You will not receive bad things. Even if you ask a bit amiss, God will turn your prayers into something good. He will not leave you unlistened to. And that is enough to make anyone who sees it worship. I know there will be people here who say, oh, I, just, I just find that hard to believe, certainly to believe in a sense that makes me stand and worship like those Israelites. Uh, if I saw a cloud, I would. Well, I want to say to you, first of all, a warning. 
and then an encouragement. The warning is that there were plenty of people in Jesus' day who said, show me a sign. And Jesus' response by and large was a wicked and adulterous nation. Uh, generation seeks a sign. His point was, you've got evidence enough. Don't continually ask for more. So don't be someone who just, you've seen enough and you just say more, 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 please, I need more encouragement. It may be you just need to trust and to pray. But the encouragement is, if your faith really is weak, you go to God and you say that. He saw it, he knows it. Go to God and be honest. Not with a hard heart, not with, not with a heart that says, uh, you know, I'm not going to come anywhere near you, God, unless you give me some dramatic sign. But you go to God and you say, actually, God, Honestly, my faith is weak right now. I've prayed like that myself. I've prayed with people in those terms and sought and asked for God's encouragement. And it is amazing how he gives that encouragement again and again. We have lots of things in the church Lots of events, organised prayer events. We pray regularly on Sunday, uh, Sunday mornings and evenings. We um, make sure that prayer is part of home group. If you don't belong to a home group, join a home group and get involved with a group of people who are committed to one another. We provide information for prayer with the ePray, regular weekly uh, email and if you're not subscribed to that then go on the website get yourself registered get and, and uh, sign up for ePray. We have monthly First Tuesday meetings which are meetings to uh, share, discuss what's happening in the church and to pray about it. We have a weekly breakfast prayer meeting which uh, if you're free on the um, Thursday mornings and can get there the, the group who pray there on Thursday mornings really um, uh, enjoy it and get a lot out of it and they'd love to see more people um, joining them. Um, we have other informal opportunities for prayer. Uh, there's a group, for instance, who are um, um, going to be getting together to pray about our evangelism as a church. Um, ask Judy um, about that if you want to, want to know more. There's lots and lots happening but the bedrock the bedrock is our personal relationship with Christ. I don't think particularly as a church we need to organise more prayer. I think we need to learn the privilege of praying. Moses prayed. Because Moses knew his need. He um, talks amazingly frankly to God, um, verse 12, and basically says, um, I can't do this alone. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom 
you will send with me. You've said I know you by name and you've found favour with me. Who will you send with me? Moses asked that a long time ago, actually. It's recorded back in Exodus 3 when he was uh, first called by God. Then he was saying, God, please don't send me. I feel inadequate to this and please God, send someone else. And God's angry reply back in Exodus 3 was, okay, I'll send someone else to be your partner. And he sent him Aaron. But it does seem that Moses has matured at this point. He still needs to know that there is outside support. He can't do it alone. But as the uh, interaction rolls on, it's not send someone else. It's be with me. I need you with me, is what Moses is saying now. And that God answers joyfully. I can't do this alone. He says, because, verse 13, I don't know what to do. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and may continue to find favour with me, with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Teach me your ways, he says. Don't necessarily give me an ABC. Don't necessarily tell me every last detail of what I've got to do, but teach me your, your habits, your character the way that you interact with this world. Teach me those things so that the reflexes of my heart are the same as the reflexes of your heart and then I will know what to do. Great prayer, isn't it? Teach me your ways, Lord. Teach me to be Christ-like. Help me to understand the heart of Christ in a way that, that knows when to be gentle and when to confront, when to stop and wait and when to move forward. Teach me your ways, God. And teach me your ways for a particular reason. Not so that I will be successful in this world, but so that I may know you. You will not come to know the living God unless you are someone who is simultaneously seeking to know the character of God and his ways and put, seeking to put them into practice. That is how we come to know deeply the living God. We get down on our knees and we say, show me your ways and help me to put them into practice today. And then we do it the next day and the next day and the next day. And the result? We know the living God. And we please the living God. That I may know you. He says, um, and continue to find favour with you. Moses knew his need and he receives an answer from God. Verse 14, 
The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And in the English, that sounds fine. But actually it's not. Because the you is singular. God is pretty fed up with the nation of Israel as a whole. And he says, okay, I'll go with you, Moses. You're okay. I'll be with you, by implication, not necessarily with the rest. And Moses knows that he needs more than that. He has to lead the people. How can he do that if it's only him that he's with rather than the people as a whole? God's purpose is not to save Moses on his own, but to save an innumerable throng, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And if God is not with them, plural, that won't be fulfilled. Do you pray for you, singular, or do you pray for us? Pray for both. A vital part of what we need is God with us, corporately, as well as with me, in the singular. And Moses knows that. It's not good enough, God, he says. Verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here, he says. And God answers that prayer positively. Verse 17, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Moses is amazingly cheeky, isn't he? You know, you know, if I'd been promised that God would be definitely there with me as an individual, I just said, thank you very much, that's enough, that's enough for today. That'll do me for the next um, uh, few years, I'm sure. But Moses does not stop there. I want more. Amazing that the, the, the saints in the Bible, again and again, they are, they are reverent. They, are in, they know the fear of the Lord. They throw themselves on their faces before, before the Lord. They are, they are hardly upstarts, but when they start talking to him, if they know that it is something that is, that is within God's purposes, they get stroppy. They do. John Knox, a Scottish um, uh, Christian leader, is said to have um, stayed the night with uh, uh, a Christian family and um, uh, when they went to um, sort his bed as he was about to, to leave, the, the, all the bedclothes were in complete disarray and I think the sheet was even, uh, even torn and they said, what's been going on? Um, Mr. Knox, and he said, uh, he said, I was praying for Scotland. Not good enough, God. You go with us. Moses knew his need and he 
was amazingly persistent in it. And then in verse 18 he gets to the, to the pinnacle of what he knows he needs. Verse 18. Moses said, Now show me your glory. I need to know you, God. And God's answer is of as only a limited way in which you can know me. I will cause all my goodness, verse 19, to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. No one may see me and live. And then he advises to stand, Moses to stand in a cleft of a rock and he says, I will remove, um, I, I will pass by in front of you. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face you must, must not be seen. You see, there is only a limited way in which we can really, truly know the living God. It's a real way, but it's a limited way. If God stood in front of us this moment, we would be so utterly terrified that we would be transfixed. But God does reveal himself to us. Always, it's his back, as many of the reformers used to say, particularly Martin Luther. We see his back. We, we, we know that from our experience, don't we? We, we glimpse something of God, but it seems to rush away. And we frust, feel frustrating. And if only God was staying with us, well, that's the way it must be, says God, until you see me face to face. That is all you can bear within this fallen world. But you can know me. Moses knew God. And you can know me supremely in this way. You can know my character. When God does pass by in front of Moses, we get no description of physically what he saw. We get told what he said, verse 6. The Lord passed by in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God reveals his character. He reveals himself as the compassionate and gracious God, the soft-hearted, the generous God. He displayed that in Jesus, didn't he? Who turned aside to outcasts, who welcomed children, who gave himself 
for people. He portrays himself as the patient God, slow to anger. He is patient with you, though he knows how many times you've stumbled and how many times I've stumbled. He is amazingly patient and will pick you up and take you forward again. He portrays himself as the God abounding. Note that, abounding, full, overflowing, abundant in love and faithfulness. That word love is a wonderful word. It means covenant love. It means unstoppable love, unbreakable love. Love that transcends even death and faithfulness or truth is a potent word as well. Because God speaks and when he speaks, he honours what he speaks. When he promise makes promises, he keeps those promises. He is full of truth and faithfulness. The Apostle John, describing the arrival of Jesus, said, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. And he was echoing this great statement of God's character. He is the forgiving God. He forgives wickedness, rebellion and sin. In other words, he forgives every evil that you can imagine. Every evil in you, even the ones that you've only recently started to see and been horrified by, he saw long, long ago and he said, I will forgive you if you're a Christian here this morning. Yet he will not let the guilty go unpunished. That hangs there in this statement of the character of God. It's never resolved until Jesus, who dies on the cross, taking our guilt for us. So that no sin that has ever occurred in all of eternity is ever unpunished. It's either punished in us if we're not yet if we're not Christians, or it was punished in Jesus. This is the character of the God that we are invited to come to know. This is the glory of God, the, the, the brightness of God, the heavy solidity of God. Those two elements are very much bound up in this word glory. He is the compassionate and gracious God. He is the patient God. He is the faithful, loving God. He is the forgiving God. He is the God who finally resolves his determination to punish and to be righteous in that sense, to punish all sin and his determination to have mercy in his son Jesus who dies on the cross. This is the God, if you're a Christian, that you are coming to know. And don't you want to go to him and meet him and know him? If you're not yet a Christian, Find this God. He's extraordinarily awesome. If you are a Christian, then don't you want to find someone to pray on your own? 
Don't you want to come to those meetings? Yeah, they may be matter of fact, those prayer meetings, going through a certain number of things that need to be prayed about, but behind them stands the character of God. There is enormous potential and I think enormous vulnerability amongst us here. And the potential will be realised and the vulnerability covered as we know the living God.